good morning, everyone. My name is Pastor Julie. I'm one of the pastors here. And one of the things I love about serving here is that we have heard the gospel preached already throughout our service, through our worship, through our fellowship with one another. I'm so grateful because it takes a lot of the pressure off of the pulpit because I know the gospel's already been preached. But I'm so excited to be with you today. I want to start by congratulating any of our graduates here today. What an incredible year to finish school. They've showed determination and resilience, and I really cannot wait to see where this group of students go. I can't wait to see who they become. An important part of who I am is that I am Italian. I grew up in an Italian home. My maiden name is Pandiani. Uh, every Sunday night, my family gathers together for a big family dinner. I talk with my hands a lot. That's part of my Italian personality. And it helps that my family is from the most beautiful part of Italy, Lake Como. We have a picture here of my family. Uh, George and Amal Clooney are our neighbors. Uh, but this is my dozens of cousins in 2019 in Lake Como. It also helps that I have a cousin who owns a gelateria in Lake Como. It's always good to have a cousin with an ice cream shop. But I am I'm so proud to be Italian. Or I should say, I was proud to be Italian. I was proud to be Italian until I took a little spit test and I sent it into 23andMe and I got my results. You want to know how Italian I am? Zero. Zero percent. Like nothing. I was actually more West African than I was Italian. No Italian. My first reaction to it is I thought, oh my goodness, my older sister Melissa was not lying to me. I'm adopted. I thought that she hadn't lied. But here's the real story. Let's pull that picture of my family back up. We live on the shores of Lake Como, and we have for generations, but we're from those mountains back there in the distance. And those mountains back there in the distance, Switzerland. My family is from Switzerland, so therefore I'm not Italian. I am very, very Swiss. Here was this thing that was such an important part of who I was, my Italian identity, and I found out that it was a case of mistaken identity. I was wrong. This week we're going to talk about our identity as followers of Jesus. And we're going to talk about how just like I was mistaken about my Italian identity, there are ways that we can be wrong about our identity as followers of Christ. Now there are a lot of things in the world that threaten or compete with our identity as Christians, we are not talking about those this morning. This morning, we're concentrating our time talking about the things within our own lives and within the church that compete with our identity as Christians. We're going to spend our time in Philippians 3, where the Apostle Paul reminds us that our identity is found in Christ alone, and everything else is identity fraud. I'm going to say that one more time. Our identity as Christians is in Christ alone. Everything else is identity fraud. Now, this text, Philippians 3, it is like fudge. It's deep and theological, and so we're going to take it bite by bite and take some time to enjoy it and digest it. So well, if you would look with me at the first couple of verses in Philippians 3, Paul writes, 
Finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write this again is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard for you. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, the ones who worship by the Spirit of God, exult in Christ Jesus, and do not rely on human credentials. That's our first little bite that we're going to digest. I wonder if any of you have ever experienced identity theft. Can anybody own up to that? Yeah, a couple of you. If you have, you're in good company. I have experienced it. 49 million other Americans have experienced it to the tune of $56 billion of loss. And if you've experienced identity theft, you know that when you find out about it, you feel completely exposed, completely vulnerable, and completely furious. In our text today, Paul is furious. He is so mad at this group of identity thieves. He is so mad that he swears. The Apostle Paul has a bit of a potty mouth in this text. You're going to have to wait to get to that little apostolic swear word in a little bit. But Paul is ticked off. And he begins with this warning. Beware of the dogs, the evil workers, and those who mutilate the flesh. Dogs, deeds, and dogma. He's speaking about a specific group of people within the church. That group was called the Judaizers. And the Judaizers taught that in order for a Gentile to become a Christian, they had to first convert to Judaism and then to Christianity. What that looked like practically is they said that a Gentile should get circumcised, go through the physical rite of circumcision, and should follow the ceremonial law. And the Apostle Paul was not a fan of this group. He calls them dogs. Dogs was like the worst thing that you could call somebody in the first century. It was derisive and derogatory, and it was usually reserved for the Jews to call Gentiles. But here, Paul calls the very people who would point others out as ceremonially unclean, he calls them the dogs. And then he says, beware of the evil workers and those who mutilate the flesh. That sounds a little bit gross, doesn't it? But what Paul is talking about here is those two practical physical rites, ceremonial law and circumcision. Now, the real brief overview of those two things is they're not bad. They're not wrong. They were in, they were, um, in the Old Testament, God gave circumcision and ceremonial law to be outward, visible signs that Israel was his chosen people. It showed the covenant relationship that God had with Israel. It showed the internal identity of God's people. But throughout, throughout Israel's history, and especially in the first century, especially at this moment, Israel's national identity was tied more to that outward visible sign, the outward sign of circumcision and ceremonial law, than it was to that internal identity. In other words, they were relying on human credentials, and they were putting their faith in the flesh instead of putting their faith in God and their identity in their relationship with God. So when they said, 
to the Gentiles that you had to be circumcised in order to be saved, Paul was having none of it. And he says that we are the circumcision. We who worship by the Spirit of God and exult in Christ Jesus and do not put hope in human credentials. Paul says that it's that internal relationship, that internal identity that makes a person part of this family of God. The Judaizers said that we should be circumcised in order to be saved. That sounds like a first century problem, doesn't it? We don't have anybody walking around Gig Harbor talking about mutilation of the flesh, thank God. However, when we think about the, the real thing behind the thing, is that they were trying to tie outward appearance to salvation. And that is a very real problem in the church today. We see it in the physical rite of baptism. There are people who believe that if you are baptized, it doesn't matter what your internal identity is and what your relationship is with God. If you've been baptized, that's your ticket into heaven. That physical rite is what saves you. It also rears its ugly head in that word should. The Judaizers believe they should be circumcised. We are really good at using that word should to talk about what Christians should and should not do. I visited one of our global outreach partners once, and we were talking about communion, and, and they said, oh no, we don't do communion here. We don't do communion because the missionaries who came and told us about Jesus told us that you should use grape juice when you take communion. We don't have grape juice here, and so we can't take the Lord's Supper. They had been should on. I have to be, I got to be careful. I might accidentally swear like Paul did. We have to be careful not to should on people, and we also have to be careful not to should on ourselves. We talk about things that you should wear, the way that a Christian should talk, a Christian should act, things that Christians should and should not eat. We get caught up in this identity of should, and it becomes more about our outward appearance than our internal identity as those who worship God. Our identity as saved is found in Christ alone. Anything else is identity theft. Our salvation is found in Christ alone. Anything else is identity theft. Now I want to be clear, like I said, circumcision and ceremonial law, they weren't necessarily wrong. In fact, Paul writes about them elsewhere. Spiritual disciplines aren't wrong, but the second they become the thing, the second they become the most important thing that we tie them in any way to salvation, it is identity theft. It is wrong. Let's move on to our next little portion, take our next bite of the text. Here's what I love about the Apostle Paul. He has had this scathing review of the Judaizers. He's really like reamed them. But then he takes a moment to self-reflect and do a self-assessment of his own identity. He's willing to look in the mirror. He says, if someone thinks he has good reason to put confidence in human credentials, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day from the people of Israel and the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. I lived according to the law as a Pharisee. In my zeal for God, I persecuted the church. According to the righteousness stipulated by the law, I was blameless. 
But these assets I have come to regard as liabilities because of Christ. More than that, I now regard all things as liabilities compared to the far greater value of knowing Christ my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. The Apostle Paul checked all the boxes. He had the upbringing and he had the accomplishments. He was the very model of a first century Jewish man, a Jew among Jews. He even says that he was righteous before the law. And he says that his righteous zealousness led him to persecute the church. We see in Acts 7 and 8, it talks about how Paul held the cloak of the crowd as they stoned Stephen. Paul ravaged the church and carted men and women off to prison. This was because he was righteous, because he was blameless. But then, as he began to reflect on that internal identity, he realized that it wasn't about checking all the boxes, and it wasn't about following all the rules. It was about something internal. It reminds me of a story from when we lived in Central Asia. Uh, one of our neighbors had the opportunity to read the Bible with the Taliban, with her Taliban neighbor. And as they were reading the Bible together, when he got to the book of Leviticus, he loved Leviticus, like loved the Mosaic law. How many of you can say that you find Leviticus riveting? It's your favorite thing to read. He loved it, and he loved it, but he had a couple notes for Paul, or for Moses. He had a couple notes for Moses about the law. He said that it wasn't harsh enough, strict enough, and it didn't go far enough. Those were his notes for Moses. And then they continued reading together. They got to the book of Matthew, and when they got to Matthew, he came to her, and he said, I need to talk to you about this text. Jesus has said an impossible thing. And he reads from Matthew, and he says, Jesus said, you have heard that it is said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you, if anyone looks at a woman lustfully in his heart, he has already committed adultery. The Taliban said, that's impossible. No one can hold to that law. No one can hold to that law. That is what Paul came to recognize, that no one can hold to that law. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No one is righteous. No, not even one. These are words that Paul wrote to the church at Rome. Paul recognized that no one can hold to that law, not even him, not even the blameless one. But we sure do try, don't we? We try to hold to that law with the list of accomplishments and all the things that we've done. And that is why Paul says these things are now liabilities. All of these things that made me blameless have now become liabilities because of the surpassing knowledge of knowing Jesus. All of those things that had once made him righteous now are penalties, a loss because he knows Jesus. It would be like if you were applying for a job and you filled out your resume and you put down all of your credentials, you put down all of your references, all of your experience, your accomplishments, all the things that, you, that made you right for the job and then you turn it in and you find out those very things make you the worst candidate for the job. That is what it's like, this type of liability. Paul takes it even further actually and he says, indeed, they are dung. 
This is where Paul swears that word dung, it is not, it does not do it justice. It is a polite word where Paul uses a very, very vulgar word here. In fact, when I was doing the word study of it, it says this word is not used in classic Greek literature. Apparently, it was not good enough for the Greeks. It was so severe and so um, inflammatory. And I cannot say it in church. I will suffice to say, bullshit. Go back to our should language, BS. Uh, it, Paul says that all things, all of these things that he'd once considered to be accomplishments are all BS compared to knowing Christ, his Savior. And then he goes on to say, I regard them as dung, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not because I have my own righteousness derived from the law, but because I have the righteousness that comes by way of Christ's faithfulness, a righteousness from God that is in fact based on Christ's faithfulness. My aim is to know him, to experience the power of his resurrection, to share in his sufferings, and to be like him in his death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. What Paul came to realize is that our righteousness is found in Christ alone, just like our salvation is found in Christ alone. The only way that we are righteous is through Christ's faithfulness. Nothing that we can do, nothing we can say, no matter where we are from, our righteousness is found in Christ. That goes for both our accomplishments and the things that we've done wrong. Our righteousness is found in Christ alone. No matter our sins, no matter our past, our righteousness is in Christ alone. I recognized as I was dealing with this text that I really wrestled with this, with Paul's list of accomplishments. Because I, frankly, I feel like I am a pretty accomplished person. I feel a kinship to Paul in this as I was reading it. I grew up in Gig Harbor. I'm a harborite of harborites. I was baptized in the Memorial Chapel. I was confirmed right there. I was married right here. And I was ordained right over here. Chapel Hill has always been a really important part of my life. In my education, I collect degrees and they all have summas by it. I'm very proud of that. I am a Presbyterian among Presbyterians. I'm so reformed that the only flower in my garden is a tulip. (laughs) And I'm so reformed that I was really, really afraid that nobody would get that joke. But I'm glad that some of you did, and if you didn't, you can come talk to me afterwards, and I'll totally, like, reformed explain it to you. But I have this long list of accomplishments, and they're all just a part of who I am. I can't change that I'm from here, and I, want, I can't change that I love being here. I can't change that I'm reformed, and I shouldn't. Paul couldn't change any of those things about himself either. However, again, the second it becomes the thing, the second it becomes essential to my identity— then it becomes a liability. The second that being Pastor Julie becomes a part of who I am, my identity as a Christian, it becomes a liability. It becomes BS, and it becomes dangerous. And here is why. Here's why that list of accomplishments is dangerous for us. When we have a list of spiritual accomplishments and our upbringing and our outward appearance— it says that the righteousness that comes through Christ's faithfulness is not enough. When we say that, it's like we're saying the cross was not enough. 
it's almost like we make Jesus our liability. It's like we say, oh, I've got this list of things that I've done that are going to get me into heaven. But just in case, I've got Jesus over here as my liability insurance. Just in case this stuff doesn't do it, here's Jesus. But what we see in Paul's letter to the Philippians is it's the opposite of that. That none of this stuff matters. None of those accomplishments matter. It's Christ alone in whom we find our righteousness. So all of that is liability. I want to talk about one more way that our identity is found in Christ, and that is in the work of sanctification. Paul says, my aim is to know him, to experience the power of his resurrection, to share in his sufferings, and be like him in his death. And so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul recognized that it was through Christ that he was sanctified, the in-working of the Holy Spirit, that it wasn't anything that he could do, but it was following and aiming to know Christ more, following after Jesus. So friends, this morning, I want you to consider your liability list. What's on your list of accomplishments? If you think I don't have any, then that's one right there. Uh, just a little spoiler. But I w these are the things that you think of that if you went to heaven and God said, why should I let you in? What are the things that you would be tempted to list? Maybe it's that you grew up in a Christian family. Maybe it's that you were baptized on the eighth day and then you were re-baptized in the Jordan River on a Holy Land trip. Maybe it's that you have given a lot of money to the church. Maybe it's that you've given a lot of money to the poor. Maybe it's that you sit in the same pew every single Sunday. You're here every single week. What is it that you would be tempted to say, this is what gets me into heaven apart from Jesus? That's your liability list. And the cure for all these things, the cure for the shoulds, the cure for our sense of accomplishment is to aim to know Jesus, to bring those things to the foot of the cross and recognize that it's not our work, but it's God's work in us. It's God's righteousness. So friends, we're going to take some time now to bring those things to the cross. We're going to take some time to, to pray together and to confess to recognize the things that we've told people they should and should not do, the ways that we have put our emphasis on our own accomplishment and not on the work of Christ. We're going to take a moment to recognize our sanctified identity as those who follow Jesus. So if you would join me in prayer, I'm going to invite you to put your hands out in front of you like you're giving all this stuff back to God, that you're releasing it back to Jesus. Father, we come before you, and we are grateful that you gave us the gift of righteousness through Christ's faithfulness. Thank you for Christ in us. Thank you that it's in Christ alone that we can put our trust. Father, we bring to you all the things that we have thought would save us, and we ask for your forgiveness. We repent and we confess. We confess of the ways that we've told other people what it means to be a Christian that aren't tied to Christ. We confess the times that we've told people what they should and should not do that is apart from following and knowing Jesus. 
we confess the times when we've allowed other people to put unreasonable expectation of what it means to be a follower of Jesus on us. We confess that we didn't trust you enough. Father, we confess the way that we lean into our family of origin and where we are from as if that could save us. And we confess the things that we are willing to list as accomplishments. We confess that those are liabilities. Jesus, you are our righteousness. You are the one who saves us. You are the one who sanctifies us and makes us holy. It is our aim to know you, to share in your suffering so that we might also share in your glory. Would we be a people who are identified by Christ alone, that people would recognize us as people who love Jesus and are continually point to the cross by which we are saved. We pray all these things in your name, Jesus, in your name alone. Amen. Thanks for joining us today at Chapel Hill Church. If you'd like to visit us in person, we're located at 7700 Scancy Avenue, Gig Harbor, Washington, 98335. Our worship services are Sundays at 8.30, 10 o'clock, and 11.30 a.m. We'd love to meet you. To learn more about Chapel Hill and find out about upcoming events, visit us online at chapelhillpc.org.